1: ny or text hope ny in new york
2: what's going on it's friday i'm t frank this is the bwi daily edition we are discussing ohio coming up tomorrow at beaver stadium we're going to get you the interesting things i found on film when watching Ohio these are the five things to watch for they're not the only things these are just the things that I found most interesting and uh and maybe something we can talk about today in the BWI Daily Edition we're gonna be doing this in some form or fashion throughout the season so strap in for the first ever five things to watch for Welcome to the BWI Daily Edition. I'm T. Frank, riding solo this Friday afternoon. It's happy hour. Welcome to the show. We're going to be talking about Penn State and Ohio coming up tomorrow. But before we get to that, you are going to sit through a preamble. Are you excited about that? You should be because this is the news and notes and stuff that, uh, you know, helps all this keep going. First thing is the games tomorrow, which is the most important thing. That's the star of the show. That's the star of this show and every other show. So be there for the post game immediately following the uh conclusion of Penn State in Ohio. Myself and Tom Hannafin will have you uh give you the, the live post game show, walking you through what happened, how Penn State uh, most likely I, I, for their sake better win this game coming up tomorrow. And uh, you know, just taking you through taking your questions like we're doing today on the BWI daily edition. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to take you through the five things today and, uh, Then you can ask your questions. We can have a conversation about stuff in between or afterwards, however the flow of the show goes today. But I will be getting you those five things. I think they're interesting nuggets that we're going to get to. Uh, The second thing is, and this is the the important thing for this video, let's get this video. Again, we're getting all these videos to 500 likes because you've got to help me defeat the one thing I cannot do on my own. And that is the Almighty Algorithm. If you're watching here live, thanks for hanging out. We'll be getting to your questions and conversations. But in exchange, give us a like. And if you want to donate to the channel while we're at it, that's super appreciated. We had somebody uh, donate $50 yesterday. I had his name in front of me, and I'm going to look it up right now because I want to thank him for that donation. Oh, James Reddick coming in here uh, with uh, a $5 donation. And then Cole Reinholdt uh, gave us a super thanks of 50 bucks on the show yesterday. Holy cow, that's awesome. Uh, he's very excited to see Fitz and Nate Bauer together on the BWI Thursday show. So if you want to be like those guys and donate to the channel, super appreciate it. Don't have to do that, but I encourage it, obviously, because it helps me keep my job. And, you know, someday I'm going to get a microphone that I didn't get for free. All that great stuff. Uh, Then the last thing is just share the video and subscribe to Blue-Eyed Illustrated because we are so obnoxiously close to 10,000 followers. It shouldn't, we shouldn't be, too far away but let's kick that into hyperdrive. let's get that by the time penn state's down in uh, in alabama when they play auburn next weekend so we've got some work to do but i believe we can do it speaking of work to do let's get to the five things to watch for in penn state and ohio coming in at number five number five so here's number five and this is something that I, I discussed with James Franklin earlier this week. When it comes to an interesting wrinkle from the uh, from the Bobcats, they use the pistol. Oh my goodness! All right, we already got somebody up here. Um, I, I do not read whatever language that is. But you have a nice weekend yourself. Thank you so much. I appreciate that very very much. Okay. Um, so this is something I talked to James Franklin about uh, on Wednesday of this week when talking after post practice about. Some interesting wrinkles I saw on film from the Ohio Bobcats. The pistol formation is when the running back lines up behind the quarterback, but you're in shotgun. This is not really a new thing, but I thought it'd be interesting for fans to hear why teams do that. It's not just because they want to. It's not just because it looks cool, and I I think it kind of looks funky but there's a reason you line the running back up behind the quarterback in the shot you're not showing your hand a little bit you
3: know but in terms of the running back away from the tight end the running back to the tight end most defenses have specific calls based on where the backs location is so by the running back being behind the quarterback take some of that away it takes some of that away for sure um, that's probably the biggest reason to do it um it can create, depending on how you run them, it, it can create some challenges in terms of the zone reads that typically you're using from an offset position. Um, but the biggest advantage is the defense not being able to put it into a category based on the back on the same side as the tight end or away, and typically you have very specific
2: runs that you run out of those sets. So So let's break that down a little bit. Sorry, that's much louder than I expected. (laughs) So let's break that down a little bit from James Franklin and explain what he's talking about there. So, in the pistol, what it does is it disguises which way you're going to run. On every run play, there's a front side and a back side. And surprisingly, where the running back is aiming is where the front side of the play is. Now, in zone blocking, there's always like the, the idea is that there is an intended point of attack, but you can cut back. Like you know, the one cut runner in a zone system. Uh, so sometimes it doesn't look like it, but the if the if the running back is lined up on the left side of the quarterback, then uh, the side opposite of him in a zone running scheme is the front side of the run. Well, guess what? The defense knows that. So if you line up with your quarter with your with your running back on the left side, everyone knows the ball's going to your right. If you're in, if you're a zone running team, and especially if you have the tight end on that side because there's there's what's called a split block or you know a backside it's a zone split block where the tight end comes back and the unblocked defender kicks that guy out you know blocks that guy so he can't chase the play down so if you've got these obvious landmarks that's what the defense is adjusting to and he went on to explain there's other ways that you can disguise that so by lining up in the pistol formation you're not tipping your hand before the snap it's very unpredictable as to which side of the ball you're going to run. But zone read gets a little bit harder. Um, You've got some other challenges when it comes to some of the things that that most spread teams like to do. And that's where this is important because this is talking about running from the shotgun and a lot of of spread teams, they run zone. So these these are combating the obvious tells and the consistent things that you do, trying to disguise that a little bit. Now, he went on to say that there's other ways you can disguise that. You don't have to just run from the pistol. You can do some things that are different to change things up for the D and how the defense reacts to that. Basically, he explains the whole picture afterwards.
3: You'll also see, see people shift kind of right before the snap, uh, knowing that defenses, you know, are, are looking at, you know, the backs alignment. So either moving them, putting them in the dot, or, or having some things where you'd have same side runs where you're running traditional runs that you would normally run from opposite, and you're keeping them on the same side to break some tendencies.
2: So what he's talking about there is instead of uh, making it look like one scheme, but then you run another, this is a very common thing. LSU with Joe Burrow did this a lot in their uh, national championship run where they were in the spread, but they would run a lot of man blocking. So they would run to the same side that the running back is on. And I got to be honest with you. So like learning football and and my journey through all of this stuff, if there's one thing that is impossible It took me four years to figure out the difference between that, just that the disguise of running from what looks like an inside zone blocking scheme, but is something different. And all these things matter if you're talking about the micrometer inches and and things that you have to know ahead of time to beat your opponent. This game doesn't matter as much, Uh, not to take Ohio lightly. But if you're looking at the talent up front, if you're looking at the scheme, you're looking at all these things, Penn State obviously has a massive advantage along the defensive line. But, and by the way, Chuck, what's up, man? Hope you're having a good day today. Happy Friday, James S. Happy Friday to RS. Everyone having a good time. Happy, uh, happy Friday happy hour here on the BWI Daily Edition. If you're having a cold one, uh, let me know in the chat what, you, the chat what you're having, and uh, we'll celebrate together. Although I'm just sitting here on on camera. So when we're talking about the Penn State defense, James Franklin mentioned that he uh, that defenses can move before the snap. They can they can shift to what you're about to run into to give you bad looks up front. Uh, Manny Diaz does that after the snap, <laughs> so everyone is not in the gap that they're going to end up in for the most part. In his defense, very rarely do they keep their front where it is. What they try to do is they try to slant the defensive line one way or the other at the snap to get in front of a run play, and that allows the defense to to force a cutback and then rally and tackle. So that's the idea. the The issue is. And we talked about this in the post-game show, and we talked about this in our Stock Up, Stock Down. That didn't all go so well last week. There were some rough patches, and James Franklin confirmed that on Tuesday. You
3: know, I, I think what we all hope for, right, is from game one to two that you make the biggest jump, and specifically on the defensive side of the ball where we have some new wrinkles and and, and some subtle you know, tweaks to the scheme. Um but I think that's where we can really take a next step because uh, we did have some some um, missed assignments at critical times, you know, in the game that we got to get cleaned up, and that's that's what that's what Friday was for, and that's what Sunday was
2: for. Uh, by the way, Chuck says Margarita Friday. That sounds like heartburn in a glass but also delicious. So we'll get to to Brian's question here at this point, because this is what we're talking about of, of in, the, in the game against Purdue. There were some missed assignments, and, and the, the things that I noticed specifically seemed to happen up front on the defensive line. So a variation in a scheme that you're going to see this weekend. Uh, and then another thing that I found interesting was that they used the speed option quite a bit. Uh, in the week one against FAU. I don't know if that was scheme specific or if that's something that Penn State's going to see where, you know, it's the option football. Quarterback runs with the football and then he can toss it to the running back. That seems like suicide. Uh, and if Penn State has to defend that, I, I don't think it's going to be very hard. But if you're out of gap, doesn't matter who you are. If you're out of gap, you're making mistakes. Penn State needs to make sure that stuff is cleaned up this week to show improvement from week one to week two. Um, So interior on the interior, they have to be a little bit better. I think this year, uh, uh, this week, and then how to fix the linebackers, which is what uh, Brian is asking here. Given the issues at linebacker, how high the praise for Abdul Carter is. Would it be worth trying him at middle linebacker? Or is it too hard to learn the scheme? Micah, Micah Parsons didn't know that much at first, but flew around at the will position. So that Brian at the will position, that's they're doing that with, with Abdul Carter. They thought about putting him at Mike and long-term that's likely where he's going to end up based on what Manny Diaz and James Franklin has said, but we have not seen him play at all. We have not seen what he's good at and what he's not good at yet. They tooled and and fooled around with the idea of playing him at Mike linebacker and decided with Elsden and King at the middle linebacker position that they'd rather get him on the field more quickly and have him make some more impact plays at the will linebacker one week. So we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We're, we're it's, it's not rip the bandaid off time. It's not any other cliche can come up with. They have to show improvement before you start to worry about the problems that you might see, if that makes sense. So this is another opportunity for those middle linebackers to play better. And by the way, it was not, as James Franklin has said previously, last week was not a game for Mike linebackers. Playing in coverage a lot, they're not playing the run as much. PJ Must for those guys didn't have as much of an impact. So give them a week. I understand that the big game in Auburn is coming, but you need to make sure you know what you have in certain situations. So I I would not pull the ripcord just yet on those guys, but it is an option. You do bring up a good option. Eventually this season, if they don't feel like they're getting what they want from those players, they've already said that Abdul Carter is going to be a Mike at some point. At least, unless they change their mind, so it is a possibility this year. Uh, so, those are the things from the run game that I'm looking for, and it starts with really it starts with Penn State playing a cleaner game up front, because these wrinkles shouldn't be a problem for Penn State. These uh, options, pistol, any of that stuff, none of that should matter, because they should be more dominant physically at every level of the football which is what we're expecting tomorrow but if you see them break off a run or you see some stuff that maybe is frustrating the nittany lines it's because these things are not uncommon but they're not common in the big 10 these aren't things that penn state's going to see on a regular basis speaking of uh things they're going to see on a regular basis tomorrow let's get to our fourth thing to watch number no. four So the hustle and flow is about the uh, linebackers for the Bobcats. Pretty good disciplined group. They flow really well. So Penn State last week used a lot of pulling linemen to take advantage of some of the uh, schematic weaknesses in the defense they were seeing. And that is something that I felt watching on film Ohio did pretty well with when they were playing FAU. Again. This is all on a certain grading on a certain scale, right? Pense should dominate up front, but these are the things that's going to determine whether the offensive line succeeds or fails, whether or not there are guys in position or not. Uh, And the linebackers, they flowed well to the point of contact. They, to the point of attack where they're watching where the linemen are going and they're getting there pretty quickly and efficiently and in position. Pense should still block them, but that is something that, uh, just notice it on film, wanted to talk about it. The the key is they were not good in space, so if they were in position, great. If they had to chase, if they had to run to the outside, that was a problem for them. So Penn State showed uh, the willingness to get Nick Singleton on the edge with some sweet plays. Um, a critical play on the final drive for the Nittany Lions was getting another sweet play with Kevon Lee and having him going into the boundary short side of the field, but getting to the edge of the defense. I think that's where you attack here. If you're if you're just saying, okay, we want a big run, force Ohio to chase you. And that's where that speed in the backfield is going to matter. And I think that's going to be something Penn State tries to do with Nick Singleton is to get him on the edge of the defense and get him running downfield. And again, it worked with a guy like Kevon Lee. It can work with the other guys uh, in the backfield. So that's something from a schematic standpoint I'm going to be looking for is do they pull do they get guys on the edge of the defense uh or do they just run up the middle? Cuz they should be able to run up the middle. Uh this is the heart of the defense for the uh for the the Bobcats. That's where they had some better players. 94, 97, uh I think 50 was the other guy. They didn't do in a Nobody was outstanding, right? So if you're watching film and you go, "Oh, okay," so that guy shows up every play, and you notice him making a noticeable, it just looked ugly, right? So at times, the the defense made it the play look ugly and confusing, like you don't know where it's supposed to go. That means they're not making a tangible difference in terms of like impact, impact plays. But they're good defensive linemen. They're in position. They're they're not giving up massive double teams, even though they did sometimes. Um, so hit the edges. If like, if you just want to get a big run, hit the edges. I think that's something that Penn State can do coming in here at number three, number three. Uh, so number three is make 30 cover. Number 30 is Ben Johnson. Now, uh, Fitz and, and Nate did a great job yesterday, breaking down all the players you need to know for Ohio, giving you, uh, scouting report on those players and he, he had all the details about what ben johnson is and his tackles and everything in that game uh what i noticed on film is he's not good in coverage so he is their boundary safety i don't know if that's exactly the position he plays but he's playing over top of the box he's flying downhill he wants to be in the run game he's a strong safety um he's not great in coverage five targets five receptions 77 yards in general in general The Ohio secondary is not exceptional physically. Like, I don't think that they're good football players. There's a couple. Number 11 is a good coverage player. He is their kind of their field safety. He lines up the slot sometimes. He covers in single coverage. He plays deep. They like to play a lot of paint-by-numbers defense is what I'm calling it now. In college, you run cover three. It bleeds into cover four. Sometimes you play cover one. Like, it's the starter kit for defense. Almost everybody plays that. So they run all of those things. So just in in that situation, when you're looking at those guys, target eight and target 30. But you can target any of them you want. You'll just have an easier time with those guys. Uh, And I want to get this in here just for the shout out. Of course, James S. I remember you from last year. You were here all the time. Appreciate you for the donations. Thank you so much. Uh, Chuck, who's having the margarita for the heartburn. Buddy, I think you need to keep those or just get some Tums. Tums can't cost five bucks, though. So either way, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, this secondary, you can throw on them. And that's why I think it's going to be another big game. Of course you can throw on them, right? But these are the players when we're talking about scheme, these are the guys that I would target. So Mitchell Tinsley, this is this is another game where I think Mitchell Tinsley can have a big day where you get him in single coverage against uh, either Justin Richette or Ben Johnson. Number eight, the corner, uh, five targets, three receptions, 84 yards and one touchdown. He struggled with the FAU receivers. I don't know what he's going to do against Keandre Lambert Smith and against Mitchell Tinsley and Parker Washington. The tight ends can be a factor here as well, especially with if you want to if you want to get Ben Johnson into the mix and you want to make him cover, that is what I would do. And there's a couple ways you can do this. First off, by uh, by alignment. You can force the defense based on its rules to get somebody in single coverage. So if you line up with a two tight end set and you flex into a four receiver set by moving both tight ends into the slot, you can create one-on-one matchups, even if it's a zone running certain play concepts will get you one-on-one with a guy, even if you're trying to hide him. And this is an area where I think Penn state's deep crossers where this is a, a this is a route that I think, uh, you know, we talked to Seth Galina of PFF. He talked about last season, Mike Yersich loved the deep crosser, another really popular route in football at both levels of football, uh, where you just run a guy from one side of the field to the other. Um, and usually it would be like a post route or or a slant route, but you're taking him deeper and all the way across the field. Hence, a deep crosser. Football is very ingenious with their names, by the way. If you've got Ben Johnson on the backside and you want him matched up with Brenton Strange, Mitchell Tinsley, Parker Washington, run those. Because if you run into his zone, he has to cover you. So even if you're trying to hide a guy, a good offense that can hold onto the football, allow those routes to develop, you can target somebody that way. Or just get straight one-on-one situations. Cover three, if you run vertical routes through cover three, it essentially becomes a single coverage coverage shell. All of those things, th- these are the kind of the building blocks of what you do offensively when you see a scheme and how you want to attack it and players and who you want to attack and how Penn State should be able to run the ball. They shouldn't need to throw the ball a bunch in this game. But if you want those explosive plays and Penn State wants to generate explosive plays, I think they want it to look good, too. Like They want to get those 75 yard bombs. They want to get those 50 yard runs. These This is how I would do that. RS says, "I feel like Coach Franklin isn't beating around the bush anymore. His news conference used to be so cryptic. Seems to be more open, other than about injuries. Glad he's not sugarcoating. I've I've noticed that as well. Uh, I've noticed that he's a he he's a little more direct and a little more. I don't want to say he's not diplomatic, but yeah, I, there's not as much of the cryptic uh, talking for a lot and not saying a whole lot. He still does that, by the way." but uh, less of it for sure. And I can time it because normally his press conferences went an extra 10 minutes. Now they're about 35, 40 minutes. Charles Bolton says, you're the man T Frank. Of course, I'm going to put up pandering. Thank you. It's good for my soul. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, David Z. Hope you're having a good time watching the show. Hope you're enjoying the BWI daily edition. Give the video a like. If you, if you are enjoying the show, appreciate everyone coming on here and, and donating to the channel and having a good time and asking questions. If you have a question, by the way, throw it out there. Something I've said that didn't make sense. Something I said that you want clarification on T Frank. What the hell was that? Just let me know and we'll, we'll, address it. With the lucky land slots. You can get lucky just about anywhere. but we're going to get on to number two on our list of five things to watch for number two. Okay. So all the tricks is the offensive system for Ohio. It's the, it, uh, and I, this is, this is not to be derogatory because the point of this game of non-conference games of playing at that level of football is that you don't have the resources of a Penn State. So you have to coach around primarily your offensive line. That is the biggest differentiator in all of football, is the size, the strength, the athleticism of the big guys. Because there are more guys that are 5'11 to 6'1 that are fast and can catch and run. Now, I didn't see a lot of those guys for Ohio, but certainly their offensive line was not what you would be intimidated by. So they do all the things a spread team does. We already mentioned the the pistol. We already mentioned the the speed option, which they had uh, in the game last week, which I'm not convinced will show up, but it might. Uh, Bubble screens, regular screens, RPO, quick game, speed option. That's all the things they're going to do. Now, the difference is they will throw the ball down the field. And this is the, this is the, always the question is what was last week specific and what is the core of their game plan? And watching one game, which is what I did versus watching Ohio from last year and historical stuff and like, it, I'll do that for other teams, but not Ohio. This is what they present on film. So the number one thing to do is to take all of that away from them. Don't allow them the quick game. Don't allow them to put anything out there into the flat that is an easy yardage. And that is another thing that you'll get when it comes to these situations and these games where you've got a good quarterback, and we're going to get to that. Spoiler alert. That's the number one thing we're watching for. But there are certain things you're going to give up in certain coverages, and if you face a good quarterback, he's going to get those yards. I'll get into more detail there, but they take advantage of all of those things, all those cheat codes. That's what a good coach does on that level is they take advantage of all the little micro advantages because they can't play traditional man, manly, masculine football of dying mano a mano on a hill and, you know, making sure you go down with glory from the eye formation. They don't try to do that. And by the way, this is where all that offensive innovation that you see at the power five level. This is where it all comes from. When you're forced into a situation, what sort of tricks, what sort of advantages can you find hidden there in the offense and in the defense? And they do all of them. It's a sign of a good coaching staff, but it also can be a little frustrating to watch. I get I get a little fatigued by watching the trickoration offense. Um, so that's that's really what all the tricks are. They they're going to do all of that on offense. So finally, the number one thing to watch for tomorrow. Number one. The Maple Missile, Curtis Rourke. I, again, I'm gonna give shout out to Fitz for having that yesterday. If that was his nickname, I I don't I don't ever watch the game with uh, the sound on, and I don't ever watch the game at broadcast speed. I'm always fast forwarding and rewinding, so I I never hear the broadcast. But the Maple Missile is awesome, Curtis Rourke. Again, we talked about him yesterday on the BWI Daily Edition. So if you want to check out that show, uh, that is uh, high quality programming. But uh, Curtis Rourke, good quarterback. I think he's a little Brett Farvey. And here's what I mean by that. It's not the tools. It's the fact that he scrambles. He's a he's a good runner in a scrambling sense. He's he's also the kind of guy that'll give a shovel pass to the tight end while he's being sacked. A good decision maker. And by the way, that's where the, the decision making ends with Brett Favre, who was notoriously not a great decision maker, but was so talented. It didn't matter. Um, he's a good decision maker. He can read through his progressions. He can get to the backside of reads, not all the time. Cause not every quarterback does, but he's not going to make a lot of brain dead decisions. So you're not going to get those easy things from him. 20, uh, 27 to 34 for 345 yards, four touchdowns. If you like the PFF grading system, an elite passing grade, uh, with a lot of great big time throws, no turnover worthy plays. I'm not expecting that from him tomorrow. I'm expecting smart decisions. Here's the interesting thing. He got the ball out in 2.89 seconds last week, and and that is way slower than what Purdue did with Aiden O'Connell. And this is another one of those questions: Are they going to go heavy into the tricks, or are they going to let him stand back and deliver and say, "Come what may, you've got to force him into those situations"? Because their offensive line was not is not good it, it, from a pass protection uh, specifically. They don't have the guys up front when you force them into third and whatever situation to throw the football and play traditional style defense. So this is a game where the defensive front, especially chop Robinson as a guy we're expecting to be the guy up front. That is what uh, a game you can get him. This is another thing about Rourke is despite his, his good qualities, the fact that he's looking downfield the whole time, he's not looking at the pass rush. He is a little oblivious to it. Or at least he is aware of it and then can't necessarily always escape. He's not a great escape artist, but he is a good athlete when he can get out and run. So he gives he gives up some sacks. In 10 pressure situations, he gave up three sacks. 30% of the time he went down. That is a big number. That is something that you're going to have fun with if you're Penn State. So. Get him in those situations, force him into some bad looks, and then either get the ball from him, good arm, not great, um, and then go attack. Just attack, attack, attack. That's what you want from this defense. So those are my five things to watch for. Of course, the quarterback is number one because it's me. It's quarterbacks. So if you've got any questions, throw them in the chat. We'll be here for a little bit. We've got a couple coming in uh, here from Aaron. says, am I crazy for thinking that this team needs the most is experience or am I way too optimistic uh, there's some very talented players we've already talked about uh we've already we've already talked about Abdul Carter Drew Aller James Franklin has talked about specifically multiple times so far this season building depth and getting those freshmen a playing experience getting them on the field and getting them up to speed because this is a very talented group so you're not Aaron you're you're not crazy but it is optimistic to think they'll be ready immediately. There's still going to be some growing pains. Hopefully, this I think is the hope, is that by week four, when you're going into, you start the full-time conference season and you're going into Northwestern, that they've had enough game experience, you've gotten them in there, you can rely on them. They know what they know now. So the first month of the season, if you can get through Auburn uh, without it being too rocky, I think that's a great timeline. But that experience has to come through wins, and that's going to be one of those things. Another guy wrote this today and RSS hoping to see Vega Yuana in the game. Some highlights showed crazy athleticism pulling downfield blocks, especially for a three star. He is, you know, that's where the recruiting system, if you play in Washington, you don't go to camps, nobody really sees you. That's where the recruiting service can can fall short a little bit. Vega Yuana is not a three star athlete. Holy cow, he is a talented football player. James Franklin mentioned he was the special team the specialist player of the week or the developmental squad player of the week excuse me so he's already impressing the staff with his work ethic James Franklin raved about his character we were at a I was at a camp over the summer and this was a hilarious moment they the football players the team will come in and help out with camps they'll be there they'll do instructions they'll help run some drills they'll catch footballs or they'll just stand around and watch and Vega was with the rest of the offensive line, and there's some parents kind of off to the side watching their kids go through these offensive line drills. And James turns around with his arm around Vega, and he says, how old do you think this kid is? And everyone's, like, shocked a little bit to be addressed by the coach because they're used to being ignored in that situation. And everyone's just like, oh, uh. And, of course, Vega has this giant beard, and he's 6'4", 330, and James says, he's 18. This kid can't even drink yet. He looks like he's 30. So they're very excited about Vega Juane. Um, it's, but it's about making sure he earns that playing time and earns the ability to get on the field. So that is something that he's going to have to prove over time. It's not going to just be handed to him. Even if everyone likes your potential, uh, John Walker says, if you had to replace PSU's right tackle, who would be your choice? Well, right now it'd be Bryce Effner. Uh That would be the case. I think if, if, so you're saying Caden Wallace is, is just, he, he's not able to perform at the level necessary is what we're saying. Just outright can't do it. Um, you have to look at Tang Tangwall at that point. The question about Drew Shelton, I have a hard time flipping a, a freshman from the left side to the right side in the middle of the season, especially if that's where he's been practicing. Now that's the question of, has he been practicing at all these positions? He's been practicing at both sides or just the left. So maybe Vega would be in that conversation. He is athletic, but again, he's more of a guard body, just like Landon Tangwall. The obvious player is Landon Tangwall though. And I just don't know if they're willing to do that because They've built up this depth on the interior, and uh, Landon did not have his best game in Week One. So, with that in mind, do you then trust and have the confidence in Tangwall to play right tackle, which in the hierarchy of positional football is more important than guard? Uh, that's not to say that if you have anyone bad at any position, that uh, it's okay. You'd you'd love to have the left side of your offensive line be an elite unit with him. And with Fashanu, So as long as you can keep that intact. But this is an issue at right tackle. So I I don't know. I don't think there's a good answer right now. That's going to be a big storyline this season. I would not look to any of the freshmen necessarily. Especially Malik McNeil. Because he's just very raw. He's just a very raw athlete. I think he's got a lot of work to do in a lot of areas. A lot of talent there. But that's how you ruin players and you ruin their confidence if you set if you set them up to fail and you just don't want to have that happen. So I don't have a good answer, but my bad answer is Landon Tangwall, because at least then you have Hunter Norzad, J.B. Nelson and uh, some of the young guys that we just mentioned to play on the interior. That's why you got all that depth. This is the conversation I had all the way back when Norzad committed to Penn state is now you've got more names than positions. So do you want to move a guy that didn't or like, that's the question. You got two guys competing right now at left guard, equal split in the reps last week at left guard between Tangwall and Norzad. So if you have a guy that takes over that spot, does the other guy go to tackle or would you feel that that guy can't handle tackle either? Like that's just, That's where we're at. And Joe Bot says it better than me, says it better than everybody. If we're watching right now, there's 111 people watching. Let's get the video to 75 likes right now. Let's get the video to 500 likes by the time it's all said and done. You can catch this on replay on YouTube. You can also catch this wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Banana Boat, uh, Who's WhatsApp? I don't know. What are all the app names? They're all ridiculous. And they all keep proliferating every day. So wherever you listen to your audio, that's where you can get the BWI Daily Edition. Subscribe and download. And of course, if you're watching the video here, give it a like. Don't make Joe Bot angry. That'll do it today. Thanks for everybody who contributed. Thanks to Chuck. Thanks to James S for donating to the channel. Thanks to I still don't know how to read this language, but I just want to thank you again and also tell you have a nice weekend. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, the live show Penn State post game, That's coming up tomorrow. Subscribe to BWI uh, at bluewhiteillustrated.com to get our inside access during the game. Join us on the post game afterwards. I've done all the things. I've said all the things you're supposed to do. You have yourself the number one thing. Have yourself an awesome weekend and enjoy the game. We'll be back tomorrow.